Today, for the first time since this federal investigation began, lawyers for Donald Trump and prosecutors from special counsel Jack Smith's office, they appeared together before Judge Eileen Cannon in a Florida courtroom. Now, lawyers for Trump argued the trial over his mishandling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, that that trial should be pushed until after the 2024 election. Federal prosecutors, on the other hand, want the trial to start this December. Now, Judge Cannon did not make a decision on all that today, and we are going to have much more on that story coming up. But even if Judge Cannon decides to delay this trial for these federal charges, for these federal charges... There is a good chance that no matter what, Donald Trump will be standing trial for at least some federal charges before the end of this year. And that is because today we learned that special counsel Jack Smith has made one of the most important and consequential decisions to date. It appears as if he is ready to charge Donald Trump in his attempt to overturn the 2020 election. Now, getting to this point, Getting to this decision to pursue Trump for his alleged criminal behavior is the culmination of an extensive federal investigation, an investigation that was arguably kicked into high gear thanks to a decision made by Speaker Nancy Pelosi two years ago. For this morning, with great solemnity and sadness, uh, I'm announcing that the House will be establishing a uh, select committee on the January 6th insurrection. We know from reporting that Speaker Pelosi did not make that decision lightly, that decision to go forward without the cooperation of then-minority leader Kevin McCarthy. Democrats had tried to establish a bipartisan January 6th committee, but leader Kevin McCarthy said he would appoint Trump loyalists to it, Trump loyalists like election deniers Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, and he wanted them to be on that panel. And ultimately, Speaker Pelosi decided to establish the committee on her own without Leader McCarthy's chosen members. She picked seven Democrats and two Republicans for the task. And that House Select Committee would go on to produce one of the most detailed and explosive and public accounts of what Donald Trump did in the lead up to the attack on the Capitol. Right out of the box on election night, the president uh, claimed that there was major fraud underway. I mean, this happened, as far as I could tell, before there was actually any potential looking at evidence. I told him that the stuff that his people were shoveling out to the public were bull was bullshit. I mean, that the claims of fraud were bullshit. I respect Attorney General Barr. Um, so I accepted what he said was saying. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes. There were no votes to find. That was an accurate count that had been certified. So he had said something to the effect of, I don't want people to know we lost, Mark. This is embarrassing. Figure it out. We need to figure it out. I don't want people to know that we lost. So why did you decide to march to the Capitol? Um, well, basically, uh, you know, the president, you know, got everybody riled up, told everybody to head on down. So we basically were just following what he said. I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Do you remember which crimes Mr. Cipollone was concerned with? 
In the days leading up to the six, we had conversations about potentially obstructing justice or defrauding the electoral count. After presenting all of that damning evidence and testimony, most of it on television, the January 6th committee came to a clear conclusion. Trump did nothing to stop the deadly violence for obvious reasons. He thought it was all justified. He incited it and he supported it. We know from reporting that the January 6th committee's presentation lit a fire under the Justice Department. It was impossible to ignore. Attorney General Merrick Garland had been prosecuting cases against many of the rioters who stormed the Capitol that day. But there was disagreement within the Justice Department about how much its investigation should focus on Trump himself. But after the January 6th committee presented its case last summer and last fall, it was clear that Trump's behavior warranted a federal criminal investigation. And while the January 6th committee was finishing up its final report, Merrick Garland made an announcement. I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. I strongly believe that the normal processes of this department can handle all investigations with integrity. And I also believe that appointing a special counsel at this time is the right thing to do. The extraordinary circumstances presented here demand it. And that brings us to the work of that special counsel today. We know that since Jack Smith's appointment, a grand jury has heard testimony about everything from Trump's efforts to get Mike Pence to overturn the election, to the scheme to send a slate of fake Trump electors to Washington, D.C., to Trump's intent and whether or not he really thought the election was stolen, to whether Trump was defrauding his donors with fake claims of election fraud just to haul in cash. And that grand jury has heard from just an extraordinary number of witnesses. They heard from Trump aides like Nick Luna and John McEntee. They heard from Trump's closest advisors, including Stephen Miller and Dan Scavino. They heard from several of Trump's White House lawyers like Pat Cipollone and Pat Philbin. And they heard from members of Trump's inner sanctum, Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and Trump's vice president, Mike Pence. Smith's team in just eight short months has interviewed all of the key players in the effort to overturn the 2020 election, not simply those who would come forward themselves, but reluctant, recalcitrant witnesses who had everything to lose by testifying against a former president who aims to be president once again. And now NBC News reports that Donald Trump himself is officially a target of the special counsel's investigation. Trump today confirmed that he received a target letter from the special counsel's office, which almost certainly means that Jack Smith will bring federal charges against the 45th president for his efforts to overturn an American election. Joining us now is a former member of that January 6th committee, someone who helped usher in this moment, Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland. Congressman Raskin, thank you for being here. It's impossible to look at where we are today without remembering all of the work you and the committee did. Uh, what is your feeling uh, as we learn the news that there is a likely federal criminal indictment coming down for the 45th president? Well, I'm thinking about some of the people whose careers were permanently altered uh, by these events. I'm thinking about my friend Liz Cheney, um, who was the third ranking person I think uh, in the Republican caucus, she was the chair of the Republican conference, um, who ended up losing her seat because she stood up for the truth. I'm thinking about Elaine Luria, 
uh, my colleague from Virginia who lost her seat uh, after she stood up for the truth against the January 6th insurrection. Uh, Adam Kinzinger is no longer in con- in Congress right now. I mean, I'm thinking about a lot of the officers, too. I'm thinking about Sergeant Cannell, uh, an immigrant to America from the D- Dominican Republic, whose uh, high school class came to visit the Capitol, and he met some Capitol police and decided right then that he wanted to be a Capitol officer one day. It was his dream job. Uh, and he was so injured and so badly wounded on January 6th that he was forced uh, to leave the 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 Capitol Police Department. Um, you know, a lot of people's lives have been changed. But, you know, I, I read an article the other day about a woman whose name is Pamela Hempel, who at 69 years old said that she swallowed all of the propaganda and the cultish brainwashing of Donald Trump about the big lie. And she ended up being convicted and spending a couple months in jail. And Donald Trump started sending out messages about this 69-year-old grandma who was forced to go to jail and, you know, attacking the deep state and all that. And she sent out a message saying, um, I pled guilty because I was guilty, but she pledged that she would never believe anything that Donald Trump said ever again. And so the country, and I hope a lot of the MAGA people, are beginning to disengage from the thraldom of Donald Trump's spell that he cast over the Republican Party. I would love to talk to you a little bit about some of the charges that have been floated. We we know that Rolling Stone tonight is reporting that they have had access or a source has given them insight into what was in the target letter, the charges that may potentially come down for the former president. The first is conspiracy to commit offense or defraud the United States. The second is deprivation of rights under color of law. The third is tampering with a witness, a victim or an informant. Now, there is no mention of aiding and abetting an insurrection, which we know is one of the charges that the January 6th committee recommended. Um, what is your feeling about that charge potentially not being in there? Well, I haven't been able to look specifically at what the charges are, so I should probably reserve any kind of final comment on that. Um, the, the the fourth charge that we recommended was um, uh, aiding and abetting and giving aid and comfort to insurrectionists, which, which Donald Trump definitely did and continues to do to this very day. You'll recall that instead of acting as... Um, you know, the the commander in chief of the armed forces during the insurrection and leaping to the defense of the union. He did nothing. He sat on his hands until he started tweeting against uh, Mike Pence, further inflaming uh, the mob. And then, of course, he flattered them at the end of the day, saying, you know, never forget this day and calling them great patriots and heroes, which he's continued to do since that time. But um, look, we, we talked about uh, a number of things which do overlap apparently with what may be contained in these charges, including a conspiracy to obstruct and interfere with the federal proceeding and a conspiracy to defraud the United States by bringing in counterfeit electors who pretended as if they somehow had the legitimacy of state and federal law behind them when none of them did. Uh, and, you know, I'm just glad to see that with 741 criminal convictions already backed up by the Department of Justice, they're finally getting to the very center of the entire conspiracy because it was Donald Trump who changed the dates 
of all of these protests that had been called for January 20th. Essentially, those were a statement that the mega people were going to continue to protest against Biden during his presidency. But he shifted it from the 20th to the 6th, saying, no, this is the date of the peaceful transfer of power. This is the last day we're able to stop this. So all of it really flowed out of uh, his brainstorm that there could be an inside political coup and a violent insurrection taking place at the same time. I mean, given the gravity of what is alleged to have occurred here under Trump's direction and the fact that Trump is running for the presidency again, the fact that he has not been shy about suggesting he will be he will pardon himself and other people involved in the January 6th coup plot, the fact that he plans to take over the DOJ if he wins in 2024 and greatly expand executive power. It seems like the timing on this is of the essence. Are you concerned that we're now, you know, edging upon primary season in a few months and Donald Trump is going to and his defense team are going to use every excuse not to have any kind of trial before the presidential election. Do you think that the American people are going to see resolution on this before November? There have been 741 convictions, as I was saying, Alex, and there's plenty of time for these charges to be heard, for due process to be observed and for justice to be served. Um, so I think that's got to happen. Um, you know, the the architects of the 14th Amendment understood that people like Donald Trump um, needed to be dealt with in a constitutional way, which is why Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says that anybody who swears an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic, who violates that oath by engaging in insurrection or rebellion, shall never be allowed to hold federal or state office again. So this is a matter, as you suggest, of great constitutional magnitude and dimension. And um, I would be shocked if judges uh, played into Donald Trump's obvious efforts to delay and postpone uh, proceedings until after the election. They should treat him like any other defendant. Otherwise, it's basically a message to the criminals of America to file for office at some level so you can keep permanently delaying your proceedings. To say nothing about the message that it sends about the Republican Party itself. Congressman Jamie Raskin, former member of the January 6th committee, a man instrumental in this moment that we are witnessing, uh, current member of the House Judiciary and Oversight Committee. Thank you so much, Congressman, for your time tonight. Thanks for having me, Alex. We have a lot of news this evening, including new indictments over the plot to hand the 2020 election to Trump in the state of Michigan. But first, a very feisty hearing today in a Florida courtroom for the other federal criminal case against Donald Trump. What we learned about how and when that case is going to go to trial, that's coming up next. The word promptly means one thing to a layperson like you or me, but what does it mean to a federal judge? Today, the federal judge overseeing Trump's Mar-a-Lago classified documents case, Judge Eileen Cannon, today she took the first step in scheduling an actual trial for the former president. In a nearly two-hour hearing, lawyers for Trump and his co-defendant, Walt Nauda, faced off against lawyers from special counsel Jack Smith's office. The hearing was reportedly contentious as Trump's defense team fought hard to delay the trial until after the 2024 election. 
The defense argued that the sheer volume of evidence in this case merited extra time. The defense pointed to the 1.1 million pages of evidence produced by Smith's team, including 1,545 pages of classified evidence. And they pointed to the more than three years worth of surveillance footage that has been submitted as evidence. But Jack Smith's team, the prosecution, countered that it has already pointed Trump's lawyers to the specific evidence that actually matters here. In other words, the defense doesn't really need to watch three years of security camera footage. Trump's defense team also argued that Trump couldn't be tried fairly while he was running for president. And thus, they are arguing the trial should be pushed to next November. Jack Smith's team, on the other hand, wants the trial to start this December. Now, it's not exactly a secret that Trump is likely to pardon himself if he wins the presidency again and is in office once this trial begins. So the timing here is deeply consequential. But the hearing today ended without a decision from Judge Cannon, who said she would issue a written order promptly. Joining us now is our very own Ari Melber, the host of MSNBC's The Beat, and Neil Katyal, former acting solicitor general for the Obama administration, and of course, host of the podcast Courtside with Neil Katyal. Ari and Neil, no two better gents to speak to about this, especially Ari because of your love of adverbs. What does the word promptly mean to mm, you? Mm, I mean, in this, not generally, but in this case. It, it, well, if you're someone asks you to take out the trash promptly, right? Right. If you're d- divvying up chores at could home. Could mean tonight, could be end of the week. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, could be when you get to it. It's a great question, Alex, because words in the law have technical meanings sometimes, and mm-hmm. other times they have capacious or open meanings. Yeah. Um, this is definitely the latter. Could be a minute, you know, could be a little while. She can take her time. But I think we would expect to get this written ruling in the near term. I mean, under, well, what does that mean? Under, like, I would think definitely under, like this week. Yeah, under two weeks. I mean, again, she might be on the path of really about to do it in a couple of days. And then again, as a judge and she can go back to chambers. She could double check something. Someone can raise something. Yeah. But we're not talking months. We're going to get this answer. We're going to get a real preview. And I will say there is a problem for Trump's team here in that. They're now making the argument, judge, your honor, there's so much classified stuff and we need security clearances and this is such a process. So we need more time. I thought your boy declassified all this stuff in his mind. I thought (laughs) nothing was classified. And so to be clear with viewers, that's not going to be a legal issue at trial. Right. Right. You're allowed. You're allowed to make pre-trial motions. It just it just speaks to, uh, I think, the thinness and the idiocy of some of the defendants kind of made up, that's a nice way to put it, or blatant lies Mm -hmm. in his defense. Ultimately, he's legally presumed innocent and his lawyers are entitled to make many arguments on his behalf. Um, But it is a reminder that they do have a problem. And then the second thing that you don't need to be a lawyer to know is if you were so confident of winning, let's get to it. Exactly. This is this is the legal version of and we all know somebody like this. Hold me back. Hold me back. If you let me fight, you, you don't even. And then and then if you let them fight, they, they can't. And they don't want to fight. And that's a little bit of what we're seeing. That's here what's happening. In legally the, in, speaking. Yeah. And the tin pot bravado. Uh, Neil, how much you know, it's not a secret that today we got uh, news that Trump had received a target letter from the DOJ. Do you think that that factors in at all to the judge's deliberation about the timing of her own federal trial? I don't. I think that they're two separate things. Obviously, if there is an indictment, as I suspect there almost certainly will be against Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. for January 6th, Judge Cannon's going to have to work it out with that other judge for trial schedules because you have an absolute right to be present as a criminal defendant in your own trial. And so he'll have to be at both of them. But basically, Alex, I think this whole kind of Trump delay tactic is 
bordering on absurd. I mean, Donald Trump is absolutely, to pick up on something Ari said, entitled to the presumption of innocence and all the other rights that criminal defendants have beyond a reasonable doubt. Unanimous jury has to convict him. If one juror says he's innocent, he can't go to jail. All of that he gets. But you don't get some special right um, because you were the former president or because you're running for office. And you certainly like nobody gets a one and a half year trial delay. I mean, give me a break. And Trump's rationale, which is the Mar-a-Lago case is so complicated that he can't be tried for a year and a half is just bizarre because it's like all of a sudden the magical compl- magically the complications seem to dissolve right around November of 2024 or excuse me <laughs> mid November of 2024 I've never seen any sort of and I handle all sorts of complicated legal cases I've never seen one which has like a magic sell by date in which it's not complicated enough after a presidential election I mean the whole thing just smacks of insincerity and you know, if and Ari's exactly right, this guy Trump is saying, oh, I'm innocent, I did nothing wrong. If you so much believe that, then go prove it up in a court of law. You're getting a chance now. I mean, speaking of the sincerity of the defense, Ari, I mean, is there anything to the amount of uh, material that the defense has to sift through, right? They're citing 1.1 million pages of, of search warrants and info and evidence and witnesses and grand jury transcripts. And then, you know, whatever, three and a half years of security camera footage. Is there any credence to that as, as, as reason for a delay? I mean, there's a version of proportionate credence that you'd say, you're not going to do this in a week. This isn't a, this isn't a misdemeanor trial, you know, misdemeanor um, proceeding. Other than that, no, I mean, it doesn't take this long, as Neil said. And while the case does have some complexity and has some government rules that have to be strictly adhered to, um, I don't think it, it would take nearly as long as they would say. And as I've emphasized, the, the kind of the kind of embarrassment of today is that we're seeing the great care that the system is supposed to take with these documents and his own lawyers. And now the whole system are doing steps to give the care that he allegedly didn't yeah. in the Mar-a-Lago bathroom. Right. All the clearance procedures necessary <clears throat> to look at the documents he had in the bathroom, in the ballroom. Neil Katyal, please don't go anywhere. Ari Melber, please stay right here. We have so much more to discuss uh, between this and the Mar-a-Lago documents case and the investigation into the election interference in Georgia and the case against Trump in New York, and now more special counsel charges. The list goes on. We will be right back. There is a lot of news tonight, but there is a piece of reporting I cannot get out of my head. As we wait for a likely charging decision from the special counsel's investigation into Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election, which, yes, we know, could come as early as the end of this week, Ari Melber. Mm. And as we wait for Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis and her potential indictment of Trump for election-related charges in the state of Georgia, charges that, by the way, are likely to come at the beginning of next month, and as we wait for the judge in Trump's Mar-a-Lago classified documents case to set a trial date promptly— As we wait for all of that, which is a lot of waiting, I cannot stop thinking about this. Last week in the New York Times reporting on the special counsel's Mar-a-Lago case, a source familiar with the matter told the Times that Jack Smith's team hasn't just been asking questions about Mar-a-Lago, but about other Trump-owned properties in Florida, like Trump's golf clubs in Doral and Jupiter. So even with all of this on his plate, Jack Smith is still investigating We could have even more indictments, potentially even superseding indictments against existing defendants 
still to come. How do all of these cases line up with each other? And what exactly is the order of operations here? There is no better person to ask than the two gents I have tonight. Ari Melber, host of MSNBC's The Beat, and Neil Katyal, of course, former acting solicitor general for the Obama administration. Neil, okay, just the the calendar seems very full already. Uh, March, October of this year is the New York AG's civil fraud case against Trump. March of next year is Alvin Bragg's trial for the hush money probe. Uh, there's an unknown trial date for Mar-a-Lago, potentially a trial set that will be set in Fonnie Willis's investigation into Trump's role in the 2020 election uh, results in her state. And then, of course, the special counsel probe, uh, January 6th, potential Trump indictment. How is this all going to work, Neil? Yeah, so it's a definitely a full calendar, Alex, as you said, and it's because Donald Trump, uh, you know, sure uh, has appears to have violated multiple different criminal laws in multiple different jurisdictions. And our law doesn't really generally deal with someone who's this much of a serial offender. So what's going to happen is the judges are going to have to work it out among themselves. It's probably two federal judges, one in D.C. and Judge Cannon in Florida, as well as a potential indictment in Georgia and a certain one that's already happened in Manhattan. And there's also the possibility of another federal indictment in New Jersey at Bedminster for that conduct. So all of this is going to have to be coordinated. And we haven't even mentioned, I think there's a new Gene Carroll trial that's going to take place in New York sometime next year as well. So there's a lot of different um, you know, litigation activities. The criminal ones, as I said before, Trump has to be at. And so these do have to all get coordinated. And Trump's plan is to try and delay them all, all of them, until after the November 24 election. That is just not going to hold water. I can't imagine that judges are going to go for that. Um, It just seems like a transparent attempt to try and delay and possibly quash the prosecution with a Republican incoming administration that orders the prosecutions dropped. But Neil, can I just ask in terms of the pecking order here? I mean, I was talking with Letitia James, the New York AG, a couple of weeks ago, and she suggested that if the federal indictment on January 6th came down anytime soon, that she would adjourn her case and that Alvin Bragg and Fonnie Willis might adjourn those as well, I guess, in deference to the federal case, which, you know, federal cases traditionally go first. Do you think something like that is in the works? Absolutely. I think that would make a lot of sense. Obviously, you know, they'd all have to agree and and so on. But, you know, the magnitude of the charges that Jack Smith is looking at on January 6th go to the heart of what the American government is all about. You cannot have a person as the head of the executive branch who is. We are going to come back to you, Neil, if we get your shot back up. But Ari, you know, just in terms of the magnitude of what we already know, and by the way, the investigations that continue, I can't get out, as I said, I can't get out of my head the idea that Mar-a-Lago is not even over yet. I Mm -hmm. mean, they are still interviewing witnesses in front of the grand jury. There is a suggestion of other documents being stored at two other golf clubs. The the saga continues, and one wonders at, at what point you know, how I guess how tenable it is from from the perspective of the courts to have all these multiple federal cases, as you know, Trump points out, he is running for president and there are state charges against him as well. Yeah. Tonight we're talking about the prospect of three cases could be more. This is a gangster type of problem. This is not a problem most people have. Uh, I'm reminded of I'm sure you are big Noid who worked with Mob Deep. Uh, Whenever you make a Mob Deep reference, I'm right on your way. That's where you go. Mid 90s. But 
you know, he said, I got three different faces facing three different cases, Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn, the way things is, is looking, I'm going to see central booking. And the idea is if you're facing that much heat, you might beat a case here, beat a case there. If you have too many cases, you caught that many cases, you eventually are going to run out of luck and get convicted. At least that's how I interpret Noid's bars. And to apply it to Donald Trump in all seriousness, um, you like your odds of finding one juror, right? That's what defense lawyers like to say. You don't need to win. The burden's not on you. You have to find one juror. Well, you have to find one juror on this jury and then another and another. Exactly. And so while it is expected that lower uh, lower courts, state courts would defer, particularly to an indictment about stealing the election and a coup. Right. If we get that and Trump's been targeted for that, um, I think the pressure will stay on him. I would not expect any criminal case uh, to be completely dropped, although it might go to the back burner of what is a bunch of stoves, right? Yeah, last like, this in is line. A big stove uh, might might be very well down the road. And then the question of the Republican Party is we've heard over and over, oh, they can handle this, that and the other. But there comes a time if you have three plus cases and the expectation that your nominee could actually be convicted um, before the election, that that things change. And when things change, they can change fast. I do wonder. Um, it seems like Jack Smith is like we're beginning to see a sort of modus operandi, which is it seems clear that, you know, Mar-a-Lago goes on. Other witnesses are testifying. There could be charges unrelated to Donald Trump in that case forthcoming. We know that on Thursday, a Trump advisor is expected to hear before the grand jury that's been hearing his January 6th investigation. He may be rolling out the Trump indictments first with charges for other actors in the days and weeks to come. So if we haven't heard about Rudy Giuliani catching a charge yet, you might in the weeks and days to come. I think that's a great point you raise, which goes to the fact that so many people have been willing to even do time for him. We saw that with Weisselberg in the financial case. But some of these people would be looking at much longer periods of time. And then if you have a case that you're convicted of before the election and you lose the election, you have more cases after, no one has any incentive to, to defend you then. All right. It's a story very much still, be, still being written. Neil Katyal, thank you for your time tonight. Oh, there you are. You're back. Thank you, Neil. I can thank you in person for your wisdom. Ari Melber, uh, thank you. My friend Neil has a very timely episode of his courtside podcast out right now about how to prosecute a former president. Oh, that is coming out tomorrow. My apologies. Ari has a very important show that he hosts every night. Hey, 6 p.m. Eastern. There you guys see how I did that? Thank you for your time tonight, guys. Really appreciate it. Still to come tonight, Republican presidential hopefuls React to the news that the guy who's beating them in the polls may be about to be indicted for a third time this year. That's third as in three. Plus, these Republican Party activists who tried to bluff their way into the state capitol in 2020 to serve as electors for Donald Trump, they are now under indictment themselves. We're going to get the latest on the fake electors up next. As part of the orchestrated plan, we allege that 16 Michigan residents met covertly in the basement of Michigan GOP headquarters and knowingly and of their own volition signed their names to multiple certificates stating that they were the duly elected and qualified electors for president and vice president of the United States of America for the state of Michigan. That was a lie. Michigan Attorney General 
Dana Nessel today announcing felony charges against the 16 Michigan Republicans who falsely claimed to be the state's presidential electors back in 2020, all part of a plot aimed at keeping Donald Trump in office. Now, this marks the first time that any fake electors have been charged with a crime related to the scheme. Versions of this also took place in the battleground states of Georgia, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And what these electors in Michigan are charged with is very serious stuff. These Michigan fake electors are each facing eight criminal felony charges, including forgery and conspiracy to commit election law forgery. Those criminal violations carry penalties ranging from five to 14 years in prison for each charge. That is likely in and out. It is likely that other states have their eyes on this case because down in Georgia, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is also investigating the fake electors in her state. So far, Ms. Willis has struck immunity deals with at least nine of those 16 fake electors in Georgia. And she's expected to announce criminal charges potentially against the remaining electors and perhaps even against Donald Trump next month. Meanwhile, officials in Arizona announced last week that they are investigating the fake electors in their state. And then, of course, at the federal level, special counsel Jack Smith appears to be wrapping up his own investigation into the 2020 election, for which he has reportedly interviewed state officials in all seven states where Republicans put forward those fake electors. Joining us now is Tim Hafey, former U.S. attorney for the Western District of Virginia. He is also, of course, the former lead investigator for the House January 6th committee. Tim, it is great to see you. Thanks for being here tonight. I guess my first question is, in terms of these, the the fake elector, uh, the decision to charge these fake electors, I mean, how how significant is this and how do you see this potentially influencing or affecting other investigations at the state level into these fake elector plots? Yeah, look, I I think it's significant, but it's not new, right? The select committee uh, identified this plot and the the essential facts of the fake elector scheme in Michigan and other states back during our hearings and our report. We developed evidence, for example, from the chairman of the Republican Party of Michigan, who, when presented with this idea of alternate electors, fake electors— said, we can't do that, uh, when presented with the idea that these electors needed to be in the state capitol, according to Michigan law, on December 14th to certify these fake electors and that they were proposing to spend the night in the capitol before that in order to ensure that they would be there the next day, she said, that's crazy, you can't do that. So there's evidence that we developed a very specific intent that these electors were told that this is unlawful, that there's no basis for purporting that these are official certified electors, yet they went ahead and convened Uh, and and issued those fake documents. So it's significant in that it's yet another manifestation of the plot. This is just one part of a multi-stage plot, but it's not new because this information has been out there for a long time. Yeah, well, to that end, I mean, um, the Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel said that she effectively reopened this probe in January because up until that point, she'd been deferring to the federal investigation, but sort of didn't know what was happening there. So basically moved forward again on it on her own. I mean, how do you (laughs) do you think the news that Jack Smith's investigative team has been also moving forward in parallel on the fake electors plot complicates this in any way? I mean, how do you see this sort of hand in glove or, or la- I don't know, the coordination or any cooperation between the state AGs who are running with the fake electors plot and the feds who are also investigating the same thing? 
Uh, I don't think there's been any coordination, and I think that's been intentional. I think the Department of Justice has done this investigation on its own, has not coordinated with state attorneys general, with the DA in Georgia, with the district attorney in New York or anywhere else. They didn't coordinate with the select committee either, right? We turned over to them all of our work product, all of our transcripts, all of our documents upon completion of our work. They then used that information to inform their investigation. But to be clear, the department has pursued this independently, not coordinating with other prosecutors or congressional committees or anyone else, but rather evaluating these facts on their own. Now, if they do proceed with fake electors as part of a Jan 6 indictment, which seems likely, unclear what happens to the Michigan case. It might just sit and wait for the resolution of the federal case. It might proceed on a parallel track. There are violations of state law as well as potentially violations of federal statutes. So there could be concurrent prosecutions. But to be clear, Alex, this is not a master plan where all of these prosecutors are sort of kicking around, all right, who goes first and what facts are you going to bring? What are we going to bring? Justice Department's doing this on their own. Yeah. I, I, and apologies if I suggested it was in any way a master plot. I think it's hard maybe sometimes for folks to understand that everybody's talking to the same people, but they're not coordinating with each other, right? Yeah. In the way that, exactly as, right. as you point out, the special counsel is talking to these fake electors or investigating them, and very much the states are too. There is no coordination there. I do wonder, because it looks as if Fonnie Willis is ready to hand down an indictment or is ready to bring an indictment against Donald Trump for his role in the Georgia fake electors plot or the, the efforts to swing the election in her state. Is there anything stopping the Arizona AG or the Michigan AG from issuing their own charges against Donald Trump, given the fact that one state AG is? No, there's nothing stopping them from issuing separate indictments that specifically correspond to the individuals and the activity in those states. The Jan 6 federal case, however, seems like the umbrella Okay, if, if President Trump himself and other sort of senior campaign officials or lawyers instigated this plan in multiple states, then they have exposure in all of those states, as well as the federal case. So you could see some overlap in the Fonnie Willis indictment if it's issued and it involves fake electors and what Jack Smith is looking at, because this is not unique. The Georgia story is not unique. The Michigan story is not unique. The, all the states that you named earlier were all essentially consistent. This was a Washington-driven effort to generate these fake electors as one part of this multi-step plot to, to prevent the transfer of power. Uh, man, Tim, just looking at the magnitude of the legal dragnet, the, 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 just the size of the dragnet that is hanging over the former president's head, it is astounding. Are you, given your sort of granular understanding of all this, does it surprise you that you're seeing so much action at the federal and the state level in and around January 6th? No, Alex, right? The facts is what's driving this. And very early in the select committee's investigation, it was pretty obvious to us that those facts were pretty compelling, that the facts were pretty consistent, that the facts demonstrated criminal conduct. That's what the select committee ultimately recommended. And, and the manifestations of that are what you're seeing, both with respect to the activity coming out of the special counsel's office, most recently the target letter, and these, these other state indictments. It's all essentially... Uh, reaffirming that essential truth that this was a criminal scheme. I can imagine it is reaffirming for someone who was on the inside for as long as you have been. Tim Hafey, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks for making the time tonight. Thank you. When we come back, what happens when the person you're running against in a presidential election is indicted on federal criminal charges and then is indicted again? And yes, maybe again. 
the strange reactions of the Republican 2024 candidates. Coming up. If the past is any indicator of what could happen next in the Trump Chronicles, the target letter he received this week is likely a prelude to another indictment. And that indictment may very well be a prelude to another bump in the polls. Recall that Trump saw a 10-point increase among Republican voters following his indictment in the Manhattan DA's hush money case in March. And he saw a five-point bump again among Republican voters after his indictment in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case this June. So that math is making things sort of difficult, if not decidedly awkward, among Trump's opponents in the 2024 presidential race. Here is how they reacted to the news today of another possible Trump indictment. We need a new generational leader. We can't keep dealing with this drama. We can't keep dealing with the negativity. We can't keep dealing with all of this. I hope he doesn't get charged. I don't think it'll be good for the country. Uh, But at the same time, I've got to focus on looking forward. History will hold him to account uh, for his actions that day. But with regard to the prospect of an indictment, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. I intend to win, Neil, but I want to win by convincing voters of why they should vote for me, not by having the federal police state eliminate my competition. I still believe that the DOJ is in fact weaponizing the tools of our country against their political opponents. Only two Republican candidates dared to take on Trump. Asa Hutchinson, who hinted that Trump should suspend his campaign, and former Governor Chris Christie, who rarely passes up an opportunity to offer criticism of the man he once endorsed for president. Christie and Hutchinson are polling at 2.3 percent and 0.8 percent, respectively, in the current average of recent polls. That is our show for tonight.